Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher, back in New York City. Glad to be bringing you a fresh new episode this week. I missed you guys last week. You know, it's really funny how you get into a certain habit, a practice, you might say, and when something breaks that routine, like right now, I feel like I haven't done a podcast in two years, not two weeks. (laughs) It's just funny because once you get yourself into a certain mindset and you start doing things a certain way, when you disrupt that, it feels odd, like something feels off. So needless to say, I'm great to be back on the airwaves, as it were. And I I did miss you guys. I hope that some of you were at least able to hop over to Thinking Poker, where I was a guest on Andrew Brokus's amazing podcast last week. So if you missed the sound of my voice, you had plenty of opportunity to hear it on that podcast. In that episode, I got to have a nice long conversation with one of my poker heroes. Everyone on this podcast knows how much I love Andrew Brokus as a friend and as a, a teacher, a mentor, a coach, and just all around great guy. And so it was really fun to be back. I think it was my sixth appearance on the Thinking Poker podcast, and I'm always grateful to those guys for having me on. I think we uncovered some enlightening thoughts about social media, about comedy. We tend to talk about things that are somehow related to poker, but maybe not directly related, and of course, their strategy. So if you haven't done so yet, please support the Thinking Poker podcast as well. Um, our last episode on this podcast with Derek Tenbush was also, I think, somewhat eye-opening. We had a really fun strategy hand. He always brings the most interesting hands to discuss. And we got into some bigger picture stuff on that episode as well. So if you haven't heard it, go back and listen to the last episode. I think that it will be well worth your time. Also, I wanted to catch up a little bit today. Mm -hmm. It seems I took the wrong week to give up amphetamines. (laughs) I mean, if you got that reference from the movie Airplane, I I picked the wrong week to take a week off because a lot happened in the poker world last week, not the least of which was the exciting conclusion of the heads-up grudge match between Daniel Negreanu and Doug Polk. Now, this grudge match became friendlier and friendlier and friendlier in a very strange way. And as Daniel loses $1.2 million to King Doug, if you will, it seems that they've become besties. And some people are even taking bets on whether or not Daniel would be the best man at Doug Polk's eventual wedding. So I'm not going to go that far, but it was strange to see almost like a Stockholm Syndrome kind of thing going on. 
Daniel did make it interesting about 18,000 hands into the 25,000 hand challenge. He was only down uh, between 500 and 600,000, but the last few thousand hands just really uh, didn't go Daniel's way. A lot of it was Doug was running good, having a flush when Daniel also had a flush, uh, things like that. Uh, there were several examples of that, but there were also plenty of times when Doug just picked the right spots to bluff as my neighbor decides now is the best time for her to start vacuuming. So <laughs> I hope you guys don't hear that in the background. But yeah, uh, that's what was going on. A lot of bluffing that was working. A lot of times when they got into cooler spots and coin flips where Doug came out on top. And so the end of the match looks a lot worse than I think it was. Were I given the opportunity to lay four to one on Doug again for another 25,000 hands versus this opponent, I would say absolutely not. I think that Daniel really showed that he is better at heads up no limit than any of us thought he could be. And, uh, you know, actually it may, may sound silly because he lost so much money, but he really did play a lot better than that. And I think if you can analyze some of the hands they played heads up. Now that's a cash game, so we're not going to get into those hands on this podcast, but there are plenty of other places where you can read about the hands that they played. It turns out Daniel was less of a fish than previously thought. So I think if I had to bet on another 25,000 hands between those two players, I would only want to lay maybe two and a half to one. I wouldn't want to lay four to one or three to one even. Uh, I think two to one is probably wrong. Yeah, I guess it's about, he's probably about a five to two advantage. That's my estimation based on what I saw and my own limited expertise in the game they were playing as well. So uh, for your boy Clayton, uh, a few extra bucks in my account, a few extra Bitcoin, if you will. Um, yeah, I, I made some, not too substantial wagers, but I definitely had a little skin in the game, as I mentioned on here and, uh, things did fall my way. So that's always nice because, well, I don't know if you heard, but there's a pandemic going on and not too many people are going to comedy clubs these days. So I'll take it wherever I can get it. There is another Heads up match, heads up for souls, they're calling it. And this one's going to be between Bill Perkins and Landon Tice. Uh, Bill Perkins is a, uh, what's the word, flamboyant billionaire, I guess. Uh, <laughs> he loves to play high stakes poker. He is a self-proclaimed rank amateur, although I think Bill has gotten much better from what I've seen lately. Uh, but yeah, obviously he's still not going to be on the level of someone like Landon Tice, who famously spent a full year studying very, very hard to move up from low stakes to high stakes, no limit, and uh, has been a consistent winner coming up through the ranks at every level and doing it the right way, not moving up too fast, winning 20 buy-ins, moving up a little bit, like, you know, just kind of following proper bankroll management. Uh, obviously, he's going to have a big edge, but to counteract that, the rules of the challenge state that Landon has to spot 
Bill Perkins basically $720,000, which amounts to nine big blinds per 100 uh, because they are going to play, what is it, 20,000 hands. So now that seems about right to me. I don't think either player has a huge edge in this challenge. I think that nine big blinds per 100 is about right for a player of Tice's ability versus Bill Perkins. So I, I don't think that I would be betting on this match either way because I don't really see an edge for one player or the other. But plenty of players are betting on it. I mean, the, the wagers have already started coming in, even though the match, I don't even think the first hand has been scheduled yet. I do apologize for that vacuum cleaner, guys. Uh, yeah, we're just going to plow through here. There's nothing I could do. I'm in New York. <laughs> We've heard everything on this podcast. Police sirens outside my window, dogs barking next door, babies crying. And now we have my neighbor with her aggressively loud vacuum cleaner. But anyway, where was I? <laughs> this is not easy. Oh, yeah. Betting on this match. Uh, plenty of players are, are getting down on it. And Poker Shares, which is a betting website run by Canadian superstar Mike McDonald, Timex, who's been mentioned on this podcast many times as being the king of props, who never seems to have the worst of any bet, even how many free throws he can make as a terrible basketball player. He seems to win everything. Things got a little ugly between Mr. McDonald and his good friend Terrence Chan. Now, first of all, let me just take off my hat here and put it over my heart because I really hate when Canadians fight. I mean, Canadian on Canadian violence is a problem that is just not discussed enough in this world, and it really makes me very sad. So I'm just going to take a moment of silence for the fact that two Canadians on one day did not get along. Thank you for respecting that. Now, uh, okay, so... It turns out that on poker shares, there was a bet available at even money who would win the challenge between Tice and Perkins. And Terrence bet the maximum, uh, which I think on that site is 1,000 pounds. It might be Canadian dollars, but I'm pretty sure it's pounds. Anyway, he bet 1,000 units of something, whatever the maximum bet allowed was. And Later, it came out that he thought the terms of the wager were whoever wins more money in the match. But in my opinion, and a lot of players have weighed in on one side or the other here, I think that it's pretty clear it says who wins the challenge in the wording on that betting site. So if you were on poker shares and this bet the day it was made available, it said, even money bet on who wins the challenge. Now, the website could have done a better job of explaining what the rules of that challenge are and made it very clear that in order to take Tice's side, you would have to lay 720000 or whatever. But here's where things get weird. These guys took it to the streets. Apparently, they argued about it a bit in private. And then two good friends, two fellow Canadian countrymen arguing. And both of these guys have a lot of money, by the way. Um, you know, Mike McDonald, 
he doesn't worry about what he's going to have for, for lunch. You know, he's fine. And Terrence Chan, by all accounts, is very well healed himself. So this is strange to me that they would get into this big spat and things kind of got ugly where Terrence is trying to fight for the bet to stand at even money without the extra nine big blinds per hundred. And then, you know, uh, Mike is fighting back by calling him an angle shooter and trying to take advantage of, of his friend and, and all this kind of stuff. All this over a thousand dollars or a thousand, I think it was pounds. Either way, it's not a lot of money to these guys. And then it comes out later that Terrence tried to make multiple bets at the maximum when he thought that he had an edge there. So I don't know, guys. Like if if you're really friends, this seems silly. And now you got the whole poker world talking about this, which is actually amounts to free publicity for poker shares. I mean, here I've mentioned it three or four times already. So in that sense, as usual, Mike McDonald ends up making money. <laughs> but yeah, this kind of makes me sad. I'm kidding aside, it does make me sad because I don't think that money should come between friends. And if you can't make bets with your friends, then don't. But you know, this, this just makes me sad. It's such a small amount of money. I think that Terrence is in the wrong for trying to take advantage of what he thought was a loophole. But I don't agree that it's a loophole because the word challenge is used. If, if the wording on the website were something like 20,000 hands, heads up, challenge, or, or if they didn't use the word challenge somehow, like if it said 20,000 hands, who comes out on top, Bill Perkins or Landon Tice, where they avoided the use of the word challenge. But because the challenge itself has a, series, uh, a set of rules, I don't think that Terrence has a leg to stand on here. But the poker community is divided about 50-50 on who's right and who's wrong. But one thing that we all can agree on is that things got too ugly and that Mike hit below the belt a few times. Uh, ultimately, Terrence is a customer in this case. And one of the famous responses to one of Terrence's questions is, are you dumb? Like, I don't think a company should ever ask a customer, are you dumb? I mean, you can go behind your customer's back and say they're dumb all you want, but that's just poor customer service. And it's disappointing because I've always considered Mike to be a pretty classy guy. So I think that was low. And then that's what really started things getting uh, extra heated. So the usual poker Twitter drama, and it was all during the week that I missed. So if you weren't caught up already, you are now. But anyway, you know, as far as this challenge goes, I want to make a bet that it never happens <laughs> or it doesn't finish because Bill Perkins has a long and storied history of entering into these heads up matches and then just getting bored or moving on to the next shiny object that's in front of him. Uh, you know, he was even supposed to participate in the, the Galfon challenge over on Galfon's site. And I think they just played a few hands and it's, it's all but forgotten at this point. So my bet if I could make one, would be that this match doesn't happen. But it's very hard to get paid on a bet that doesn't happen because I would basically have to wait for one of these two guys to die to get my money. 
So I, I don't know. Maybe if somebody out there wants to bet me that it doesn't happen by the end of 2024 or something like that, I would, I would be glad to give you plenty of action on that because I know the kind of person Bill Perkins is. 20,000 hands of heads up. I don't think he's going to finish the challenge under any circumstances. So that's where I'm at with that one. And now I want to share a tweet with you guys that I got from a Twitter user by the name of Simon Goldthorpe, at Simon Goldthorpe 2 on Twitter. Hi, Clayton. First things first, this is my virgin voyage in the Twitter realm. So I hope I'm doing it correctly. Uh, yeah, you are, Simon. You got my attention and you... You tweeted me correctly, at Clayton Comics, so thank you for that. He goes on to say, quote, I'm an avid listener to the podcast from Israel. I came across it a few months ago and have just finished listening to all the episodes. Now that's, okay, Simon, this is impressive. Like, you have listened to every episode of the, this podcast is over 10 years old. It's amazing that you would, would have been able to listen to every single episode. So, first of all, thank you for your many, many, many hours of paying attention to our podcast, and we appreciate you. And it's also nice for me to know that uh, we're doing well in Israel. I know that the podcast is popular around the world, but I didn't know that we had listeners in Israel, so that's pretty cool. Simon goes on to say, quote, Fantastic content, especially like the strategy, but what do I do now with my life? How can I survive on just one episode per week looking for suggestions for other similar podcasts? Thanks for everything and stay safe. Oh, Simon, you know, I really appreciate your taking the time to send us the tweet. Um, look, uh, this, it, it means so much to know that people appreciate what we're doing. And uh, it's very flattering that you would be able to listen to every episode without getting sick of me. And wanting more than one a week makes me feel so happy. I, I can't even explain to you what that means to to me, as it probably would to any podcaster out there. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, of course, I already mentioned the Thinking Poker podcast, which I think is absolutely essential as far as uh, just meeting different characters from the poker world and, and getting to know people's stories and, and how they think and how they approach the game. Uh, because, you know, honestly, every poker player has his or her own unique journey. And so it's fun to hear from all different people from different parts, different corners, if you will, of the poker world. Um, and, of course, unparalleled strategy, in my opinion, when you, whenever you have Andrew Brokus talking about strategy, uh, you should just grab your notebook and a pencil and start listening because he really is the man. Another podcast that I would recommend is Jonathan Little, who has been a guest on this podcast before, and I hope to have him back again soon. He was very popular. Jonathan is a very smart guy and a very successful poker player who has basically dedicated himself in the last few years to becoming a poker coach and instructor. And as a result, his teaching style has improved tremendously. And I like the format of his podcast. It's called Weekly Poker Hand, where he basically jumps right in and tells you whether the hand is from a, a, a tournament that he played or a cash game that he saw on TV 
or a cash game that he played, kind of give you an idea of the stakes and, and what's going on. And then he tells you what happened in the hand. And you can follow along and try to think, what would I do in the shoes of the hero? And I think that's the best way to check your ranges and your lines is to listen to an expert talk about the kinds of things that would factor into his or her decision in terms of how to play a given hand in a given spot with the information that's available. So I think if you had a steady diet of Jonathan Little's weekly poker hand, the Thinking Poker podcast, and of course the Tournament Poker Edge podcast that you're listening to now, uh, you would be pretty well satisfied with the amount of poker content you are digesting on a weekly basis. But you guys can tweet uh, some of your favorite podcasts as well. Now, Simon in particular here is looking for strategy. So trying to stay away from the podcasts that just talk about whatever degenerate (laughs) behavior goes on after the game or talking about inside baseball things like who's backing who and stuff like that, but really just getting into how can I get better at this game we all love. So please share your suggestions on Twitter at Clayton Comic. It's always a pleasure to hear from all of you. And now to our strategy segment this week. I've decided to take a hand from the Tournament Poker Edge forums. So guys, if you are a member of Tournament Poker Edge, and there's no reason why you shouldn't be, by the way, because it's only $25 a month with your annual subscription and you get access to all of the Andrew Brokus videos, Colin Moshman videos, Casey Jarzebeck, Daryl Jace, and on and on and on, Jared Smith and more. But you also get access to our forums. Now, unlike other websites where the poker forums and those websites shall remain nameless, although if you can put two and two together, you can probably figure out which ones I'm talking about. Our forums are friendly and with the goal of helping people improve their games. Uh, The attitude on the TPE forums is not one of, I'm going to be snarky and tell you how stupid you are and just the answer is always fold pre, but rather an openness to discussing the pros and cons of different lines and trying to get better at thinking about the game, not just making the decision that would be popular on a given forum so that you can show off to your bros about how tight you are. So (laughs) that's my little mini tirade about other forums that used to be great and now they are not. Uh, So our forums are still great and we have a hand from a user named V Hannah, who is a member of TPE and resides in Nottingham in the United Kingdom. He's playing on 888 Poker, which is a legal site if you are in Europe, as V. Hannah is. And I shouldn't even say he because I don't know what pronouns are appropriate for V. Hannah. So let's just say hero. 15 left in a $109 deep stack event on 888 Poker. 12 places paid. Okay, so we are on the bubble here. Three off the money. Hero is the shortest stack in the tournament. But eight players have less than 20 big blind stacks. Okay, so we are one of the short stacks. We are the shortest stack, but there are other players that are also 
in that category of short stack, all right? Villain one is tight. Villain two is a bad player. 58, 12, three. Those are some pretty loose numbers there. It says here villain two is also willing to call off light with cards to come, but no evidence that he will call pre-flop shoves light. Okay, yeah, we know this kind of player. They like to see if they make a hand, and once they do, they can't let it go. But that's very different than being willing to make those iffy calls before the flop, right? And the rest of the table is playing tight as we approach the bubble. Okay, so short stack with 15 players left. 12 players get paid. It's a $109 deep stack tournament on a legal European website. All right, so the blinds are 8,000, 16,000 with a 2,000 ante. So that means to me with eight players that there is 40,000 in the middle. Hero is in the big blind with about 190,000. So our M is like 4.8. We have almost 12 big blinds. Okay, so those are the, the ways I look at it. Here's the pre-flop action. We're Hero. From Hero's perspective, we, we have King of Clubs, Ten of Diamonds. So King 10 offsuit in the big blind. And two folds. Villain 1 is the tight player. He's running 15-9 over 60 hands, which isn't a very big sample, but it does kind of give you some idea. And he mint raises to two big blinds. Folded to the button, which is that loose player, 58-12, that we talked about before. And he calls from the button, and the small blind folds. Now the action is on hero in the big blind with king 10. Okay, so let's talk about stacks of the players who have V-pipped here. Villain 1 has 22 big blinds, and the button has 40. And we have 12. Okay, so what to do in this spot this feels like a shove to me. Now, that might sound crazy to some of you, but let's talk about this decision from a few different perspectives. Well, first of all, when it goes raise call, that adds another four big blinds to the pot, and there were already two and a half big blinds-ish in the pot. Yeah, that's right. So now there are six and a half big blinds in the pot, and we only have not even 12 big blinds, just under 12 big blinds in our total stack. So what that means is that shoving here, if we ever just take it down, even occasionally without getting called, we are increasing our stack by more than 50%, which is huge, especially because doing so would take us from the short stack in the tournament to not even the shortest stack at our table. We would be fourth in chips at our table by winning this pot. As our correspondent mentioned, eight of the final 15 players in this tournament have less than 20 big blinds. So just by winning the six and a half big blinds that are currently in the middle, and adding them to the almost 12 big blinds that we have in our stack, we would be a middle stack. Go from short stack in 15th place to like 7th or 8th place just by taking it down. 
So then that means the real question is how often will we take it down? And I think probably more often than you might think because the villain has only made it two big blinds. And again, villain starts the hand with 22 big blinds. So he's still got 20 blinds behind. But if he calls and loses, he will become the short stack in this tournament, replacing us as the short stack. Now, when you are a medium stack near the bubble, the money bubble, you cannot be taking the kinds of risks that would put you in the short stack zone. So we're really talking about ICM here. And if this player opens to two big blinds and then calls it off, even with a hand as strong as like, let's say ace jack or maybe even ace queen, to be up against our perceived shoving range with those kinds of hands is just not a position that a good player would put himself or herself into. So because of that, we can represent those kinds of hands. We're saying we've got a good enough hand to go all in. Now, as the shortest stack in this tournament, we should not be thinking too much about ICM. The very shortest stacks near the bubble need to take chances. Like if we fold and everybody else folds until the bubble bursts, guess who's going to be the one to burst the bubble? We are. We're going to go out in 15th place if we play that kind of strategy. Now, a lot of this will depend on what our opponent perceives our shoving range to be. But where it may be correct for him to open as light as ace-10 suited, if he wants to, it's also correct for him to fold those hands to a shove for half of his stack, which is essentially what we're doing here. So that's why I like shoving here. Now, notice I'm not really talking about the collar on the button well, the guy's running 58-12, <laughs> and he's got 40 big blinds. So, yeah, if he wants to call with whatever he flatted this open with on the button, then, yeah, maybe we run into something. But a lot of those hands will be the kind of hands you expect to call from, from a loose player, something like 8-7 suited, 10-8 suited, a lot of hands that won't call this shove. And some of the ones that do, we will have a coin flip. Now, you might say... But Clayton, we're so close to the money. Why do I want to take a coin flip now? And my answer to that question is because you are a short stack. <laughs> when you're a short stack late in a tournament, you cannot fold your way into the money. You need to find a spot to shove and take it down, ideally. But if you are called, you want it to be a coin flip. And lots of hands that are in these players' calling ranges will result in our having a coin flip. I'm talking about pocket eights, although that's a questionable call, to be fair. Uh, some players won't throw away their eights. Even ace-queen, ace-jack are hands that we are basically a coin flip, a little worse. I think we have like 44% equity against ace-queen, depending on what the suits are, maybe 42%, but... You, know, you combine that equity with the odds that this shove gets through, and I think it's a pretty powerful move. Now, I know a lot of you guys won't do this. I know that some people really hate bubbling, and they don't want to run into aces. Like, of course you could run into aces, but guess what? You're never drawing dead before the flop. So even on those occasions when you know the nightmare scenario presents itself, like we're 25% against ace-king. We're 
something like 15% against pocket aces. The real nightmare is when our opponent has the very rare pocket kings, which I say very rare because, of course, we block that hand. But if we happen to run into kings, we're only 6%, and that is uh, really, really bad, <laughs> okay? So unless we run into kings, we have anywhere from a slim chance to a pretty good chance of sucking out. You combine that with the possibility that our opponents will be folding a lot, as they probably should, but many players will even fold too much. Like, I think with ace-queen, you have to sigh and call, but I know plenty of players would open ace-queen and then fold to the shelf because they don't want to end up in the short stack. And there, as a medium stack, the logic could very well be, I don't want to take a coin flip and assume that hero has a coin flip type of hand like pocket jacks, pocket tens, and just throw the ace-queen away. I would rather preserve my in-the-money position and go from the eighth biggest stack to the ninth biggest stack rather than take a flip, which could result in me being the short stack, which is pretty much an ICM disaster. So I like to leverage that and be extra aggressive with these kinds of hands. I, I would say that shoving here with King-10 offsuit is the best play and is very profitable against most opponents. So uh, that's not what our correspondent V. Hannah did, though. And instead, V. Hannah decides to call. So we're going to see a flop from out of position, three-handed, and it comes 10 of hearts, seven of hearts, four of hearts. So all hearts, 10, seven, four, and hero has the king of clubs, 10 of diamonds. So top pair, king kicker, and no flush draw for hero. And there are seven and a half big blinds in the middle. And we now have 11 big blinds in our stack. So when you flop top pair, guys, with an SPR of 1.5, it is generally a mistake to fold even a vulnerable top pair um, in this scenario. I think shoving right here on the flop, just you know, over betting the pot, betting 1.5 times the pot and taking it down would be great. Although I wish you just would have done that before the flop. <laughs> but yeah, I think on this flop, that is probably uh, a good play because you deny your opponents the odds to call, but you also might be able to get action from a worse 10. So I really like that, especially the caller, the really loose player on the button could have very easily called two big blinds before the flop with a hand like Jack-10, with or without a heart, not going to be able to fold a pair of 10s on a 10-high flop, whether they have the flush draw or not. So on one hand, you can get, you can fold out the equity of the hands that have a good draw to beat you. Even two live overcards like Ace-Queen, we want those hands out. At this point, it's more important to win this pot and stay alive in this tournament. And I think shoving gives us the best chance to do that. Alternatively, you could check. And then if one of these players bet, then you could shove. 
But I think it's better to just take the bull by the horns here. Again, I wish you would have just done it pre, but it, now that it's a you know, pretty favorable flop for our hand, I think we just need to try to get it in right now. So let's see what happens here on the flop. Hero decides to check, and the middle position player checks. And then the button, who is that loose, mostly passive player we talked about, bets one-third of the pot, 2.5 bigs into the 7.5 big blind pot. So now there are 10 big blinds in the middle, and Hero has about that much behind I think it's a pretty clear check shove. I'm not happy when a passive player decides to bet, but I just think that King-10 is too strong overall versus that overall betting range, the total range that we just need to get it in and hope to get called by worse or better yet, just hope everyone folds. At this point, I don't know the uh, exact results of this hand, V. Hanna put in his original, his or her original post that I will quote, post results after responses. Well, there have been a number of responses on the forum. So, V. Hanna, if you happen to be listening to this, please tell us what the outcome of this hand actually was in this tournament, which you posted almost two months ago on the TPE forums. I find these kind of spots interesting. You guys know I don't pay enough attention to ICM, but one thing I have been studying lately is when it is correct to be aggressive around bubbles. And the short answer is, I mean, of course, there are exceptions as all poker rules, quote unquote rules, uh, not always or, or never, but mostly the very shortest stacks and the very biggest stacks should be aggressive around the bubble and the medium stacks should be cautious because they have the least to gain by winning pots and the most to lose by losing pots. It kind of makes sense. Like the opener in this hand, he's in eighth place in this tournament or maybe ninth place. Anyway, if the tournament stopped right now and we did an ICM chop, he would be in the money. He would, Ninth place would be in the money because 12 places are paid. If he screws up, or gets unlucky even, any way he can lose this hand. If he loses this hand and loses it to us for and doubles us up, he will now be the shortest stack. So you go from in the money to out of the money. And even if you had a 50% chance of winning, or maybe, maybe even slightly higher than that, it's a mistake to take those risks. Medium stacks ought to preserve their stacks around the bubble until the bubble breaks. And... Big stacks should put pressure on those medium stacks and short stacks should gamble it up to try to become medium stacks, which is why I'm in favor of shoving pre-flop. That'll do it for this episode. Please let me know your thoughts on this hand and on anything else that we discussed this time around. Also, if you are a podcast subscriber, number one, thank you. And number two, please take a moment, if you could, and rate and review our podcast. Give us that five stars if you can. If you if you feel like I've earned five stars from you, uh, it's, it's the highest compliment you can give me. Uh, we don't ask for money. We don't have a Patreon for this thing. We don't have outside advertising. And so we really rely on word of mouth and community support. 
The reason why I, as well as every other podcaster in the world, wants you to give that five-star rating and a nice review is because podcasts that get high ratings and lots of reviews tend to climb up the charts and are more easily viewable by people like Simon Goldthorpe who are looking for podcasts that interest him. So that's all we want you to do. If you have a second, Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or Podbean or wherever else you found this, if you could just please leave us a review and a nice rating, it really does help so much. Otherwise, I wouldn't constantly be asking you guys to do it. So for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you so much for listening. Fine, fine.